0: It is good to be here with you all. It is such an honor to be here. Um, she said, You can go with G or you can try um, the name my, my mother gave me, which was Gerardo Magaña Alvarez Lopez Hernandez. Or, um, or if G works, it'll work for me. It, it, you know what? It really is a true honor to be here with you. Um, mostly because I've heard so much about you, um, but because also Jeff is a very dear friend of mine. Uh, over the past six years, he's become a, a very, very close friend a mentor. He's a, he's a man that I look to and I've really learned a lot about what it means to be a husband, what it looks like to be a father and a pastor. Uh, He's been such a blessing to me and it's been such a joy for me to hear over his journey this last, this last year, how much he loves you and how much he is absolutely blessed to be a part of this community with you. Um, And it brings such joy to my heart as, as his friend to see that kind of joy and that kind of love that he has for you is such, such a, such a blessing. I can only hope and pray that I would have that same feeling for the community in Santa Ana. So um, I'm, I'm truly honored. But, but Jeff, um, Jeff McGuire and Mike Kenyon are out in Kenya. They, went, they left Nairobi. Actually, last Sunday after he taught, he, uh, a few hours later, he was jumping on a plane heading over to, to, to Nairobi. And he's a part of this conference called Fearless. And at this Fearless Conference, it's, it's a bunch of our, our global partners are kind of gathering together there, as, as well as other global leaders, to just learn, to sharpen each other, to figure out how God is moving in the, in the global south, in the southern hemisphere, where God is just blowing up, where churches are blowing up. So we're, we're there just to learn. So they get a chance to, to, to go on our behalf, to go and learn, to be sharpened, to be refueled, and to come back and to, to teach us all that they learned. So we're, we're, we're grateful that they have that opportunity to do that. There's, I think there's no one better And to send Jeff to do that, Um, he's such an avid learner, so I I can't wait for him to come back and and hear all that that the Lord revealed to him and taught him. So would you mind if we prayed for for him and Mike right now? All right, let's pray for Jeff and Mike. Father, we're grateful for Jeff and for Mike and for the blessing they are to this community. How how much you love them, how much they love uh, the folks who are here this morning, and how much they love them as well. Father, we know that, that you're with them. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity. You've given them the special treat to be able, be able to be in Nairobi, Lord, and be uh, rub shoulders and elbows with, with, with giant leaders in, in, in throughout the world who are doing amazing things to fearlessly change the world. So, Father, may you, may you bless them, where you keep them, where you protect them. May you create a space for them to, to be refreshed and renewed, but also be sharpened and create new knowledge, Lord, and bring it back to us, Lord. So we just pray for them and a safe travel back home to us as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so you guys are kind of in the middle of a series called The Bible, right? I mean, you're a few kind of weeks in, and um, as you guys know, it's kind of, it's kind of based on, on this big, like, phenomenon, this TV series phenomenon that happened, at, I think at the beginning of this year, it was called The Bible Series, right? Mark Burnett kind of put this thing together, made it happen, and as, as you've heard over and over, it's 100 million viewers saw this show, 100 million, and that kind of... It kind of shows us that there's a, there's a sense of there's an interest. There's a sense of curiosity about the Bible and what it's all about and the stories and what do they mean and how are they so beautiful but how are they so tragic and what does this all mean for our lives and there's a lot of like there's curiosity about that and questions about that. So we figured, hey, how fun would it be to go through the series and kind of start where they started and go through it and look at the Bible week by week. So that's what you've been doing. And you started, as most good stories start, right, was in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created, right, in, in Genesis. So and, and you started with creation, that God created this beautiful world to be inhabited, and it was supposed to be meant to be in a perfect harmony and relationship with creation. God was supposed to be in perfect harmony and relationship with creation, with its people, with all things But then sin came and broke it, right? And then you moved on to to highlighting this idea, you know, who's who's Abraham, the father of our faith, um, and the tough choices he had to make and what God called him to there as well. And then we saw, we were able to see Moses and how he led his people, the Israelite people out of Egypt, out of captivity, to try to find the promised land. And then you heard about Joshua just last year, just last year, just last week about how he, how he brought those people actually into the promised land. So you've been seeing, this whole thing has been about taking key characters and key, and key themes from the Bible and trying to bring them to life. And that's what we're doing, And as you've noticed. I hope you've noticed that over and over again, the theme of the Bible is this idea that, that God pursues us. Ever since the fall, and even in this creation, God pursued us. It's not necessarily a story. It's actually the anti-story that we pursue him. But actually, we see it over and over again in this theme that we actually turn away from him instead of pursue him. But in God, in in the Bible, the theme over and over again is that God pursues us to be in relationship, right? It's like this example. It's like you look at the Bible, right? Here's the Bible. Here's, Here's how long it took God to create the earth. The beautiful place you see, this page, one page, one page, the, you know, the beautiful seas, how blue and beautiful they are, the mountains, the trees, the unbelievable animals that roam the earth, the beautiful animals that are in the sea, the beautiful humans sitting here this morning, right? All of it, one page. That's how long God took to create it. And then, here's how long it took God. No, this is how long, and it's really one page, really about half a page, how long it took for us to mess it up. Right here half a page I'd rip it but you guys some people here might be mad because I ripped the Bible half a page right here and here's the thing and the rest of these pages are all a love story of God pursuing us to restore and to bring back what he originally intended this is what the Bible is this is the major theme of the story and that's what we're seeing over and over again as you look at these passages and these people in the Bible so today we get to look at a very fun story the story of King David we're going to look at his life and try to figure out what it means. and King David's a great one because actually, as you look at the Bible, there's over 3,000 biographical excerpts of, of, that give us a, a glimpse of who people are um, in the Bible. And there's 3,000 people that, that the Bible does this for us. but there's two who are like radically above and beyond that give us it informa- gives us much more information about one of our, the first being, of course, Jesus, right? Jesus, most, most chapters written about Jesus, but second is david is king david he had 141 chapters in the bible are regarding david so we have a lot of information about who he was how he grew up what his life was like what he was like his his great successes his great portrait of like his successes and his failures so we get to look at it we know the big successes right i mean here's king david here's here's david this shepherd boy he grew up to be this this little shepherd boy the smallest little runt of his family who ended up becoming king right I mean, you saw how Abraham was the father of faith and then Moses came and brought people out of Egypt and, uh, and Joshua led them into the, this promised land. And, and all along, God had promised that they would be a, a nation, a great nation. But all along, they've never had actually a king. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, never really actually had a king up until this point when King Saul was appointed. And after King Saul came King David. And how did that transition happen? Well, you guys have heard the story of King David and Goliath, right? You guys have heard the story? And this is the fun story. It's like... David comes and he slays the giant, the Philistine giant. I mean, he's like, he's come and he's he's talking bad about the, God's people, and he's saying, "You guys are terrible. God is not with you. Send one of your men out here to fight me, and I'll fight them. And if I kill him, you guys are my slaves. If he kills me, then we'll become your slaves." And no one's daring to step forward. None of the soldiers, none of the main guys, none of the big bad buff guys with six pack, none of them is willing to come up. But David, the shepherd who happens to be there, says, I'll go in. I'll fight the giant. And he goes in. You know the story, right? It's familiar. He grabs five smooth stones. He puts them in a slingshot. He walks out to meet the giant. He slings, hits him right in the head, kills the giant. Huge victorious story. Now, that's a story we're not going to park in today, this morning. But that's a great story. That's actually a story I wanted to kind of park in this morning because that's a great story of his success. But today, we're going to look at a story. It's the dark side of David's story. It's the hard part. It's the failure in David's story. And we're going to sit in that for a bit. And i got to be honest with you, i struggled with this all week. I was like, man, I so wish wish I could talk about the Goliath, this big victory. But really, what God had for us, and what God had for me, is in this story, in the story of David and Bathsheba. So we're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, where it begins a story and gives us a glimpse into what it is. So will you read along with me, you can Look in your bulletins or look up on the screens or turn your Bibles to Second Samuel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And here's what it says. Here's how this story starts. Okay, you guys ready? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You see where the story's going? If you guys, those of you familiar, you know where the story's going. If you're not familiar, you're starting to get a little feel for this might go. Now you're starting to understand. Why, Goliath seemed a whole lot better for me than to try to sit in this story this morning, right? Okay, so did you catch it though? Verse one, do you see it? It starts with this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's army, right? With all of Israel's men. Why? Interesting, right? He, he didn't go off. And in all the stories before, king was always the king that was in the middle of the battle, in the thick of it. And here, this time, in this idle time, in the time when kings, and was David not a king? He was the king. And when he should have been out in battle, he was back. He was home. There might be something in there for us. And it says in the evening, David woke up from a nice little nap while his, aunt, while his men are out fighting a battle. And he takes a walk on his roof and he sees this woman. And again, you know, and the word there saw wasn't necessarily something he's, he saw and kind of just glanced over and looked away. He, he, he stood for a while and he, he enjoyed the view as he looked down. Then he starts to inquire, well, who is this woman? So he sends someone and so who that person, whoever that person he sent, he comes back and he says, well, here's who she is. Her name is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Iliam and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Puts it right in front of him. This is who she is. So what is he going to do with this information? What is going to happen? How will he respond? Now, one thing we have to remember about David is he was given this monarchy. He was given a great moniker. If you ever heard of David, usually the words that usually come after that is the moniker given of the man after God's own heart. The man after God's own heart. I mean, that's what he's revered for in history. As we look back at his story, at his life, we're seeing him, we see him as the man after God's own heart. This is, this is who he is. This is what he's about and now we're looking at the story and we see it, it's celebrated in Goliath and all these other stories, but now we're sitting in the story where that's starting to get a little bit shaky. You see, it's starting to get a little bit shaky for us because now we have to put, sit in the attention the of, okay, here's David, the man after God's own heart and this story. So what will David do? Here's what it goes on to say in verse seven, in verse four, it says, then David sent messengers to go and get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly cleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. So David, in his idle time, when kings go off to war and he chose to remain in Jerusalem, is drawn. He's enticed. And then being drawn and enticed leads him to lust. And that lust has now led him to sin. I mean, he brought her up, he laid with her, a woman that was not his wife. And she became pregnant. And now you see, you're starting to see the tension. The tension is now continuing to build. Remember the moniker? The man after God's own heart. But now we have this story. And it doesn't stop there. Because you notice, he says he sent for Uriah. He sent him to be brought back to him. And he sent him because he needed to cover his tracks. The story goes on in chapter 11 and describes what happens here. As he sends word to Joab to bring him Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah comes back and he's like, i got to cover my tracks here. See, she's pregnant and the math has got to add up, right? He can't come back from war in in nine months and now she has a baby. The math just doesn't add up, right? So he's like, i got to cover my tracks here. So he brings, they, they send, he summons Uriah, Uriah comes Uriah's here in the presence, and Uriah just thinks he's there to give a report. So Uriah says, hey, here's what's happening with the battle. Here's what we did. Here's what happened. Here's what's going on. He says, awesome, great, great, good job. Now, I want you to take some time off and go back and go to your home. Wash your feet and relax. David wants to cover his tracks. He wants him to go back home to be with his wife. But Uriah is a righteous man. This guy's a real deal, and he doesn't go home. He walks out of the palace with the gift that David gave him, and he sits and he sleeps outside of the gate. Does not go home. So, he heard, so David hears word later that he didn't go home. So he's like, what's up with this guy? Why didn't he go home? So he calls him in again. He's like, hey, I'm giving you the time. Why didn't you go home? And he says, you know what? My men in the army and even the ark of God is sleeping underneath the tent at night. There's no way that I'm coming off after the battlefield and leaving them out there and me to go home to the comforts of my home. There's no way I'm doing that. And awesome guy, right? So David says, okay. So he figures, okay, let me see if I can get him drunk. So he says, come back tonight, let's have a feast. And he, and, he, and he drinks a little too much wine on purpose. David gives him a little too much wine and gets drunk. And he thinks, okay, now for sure if he gets drunk, he'll, be able to, he'll go back home and do what he needs to do. But he doesn't. He goes back out and he sleeps outside the palace again. David hears about it. Now he has no choice. Now this, this has now gone crazy now. So now David, in his mind, he thinks, okay, I got to kill him. So he does a conniving thing. You know what he does? he writes a note to joab rolls it up it's a death sentence is what he writes he rolls it up he gives it to the man who's going to be put to death uriah and uriah takes it back to joab joab of course opens it in private reads it and david says put him in the thick of the battle put uriah there and when the battle is raging hot i want you to pull back so that he can be killed and joab obliges and uriah is killed and joab sends word back to david See, King David, the man after God's own heart, in his idle time, is drawn, is enticed, and leads to lust. That lust led to sin, and now that sin has now led to death. This is a tough story, right? This is a tough, tough story. So now, here's an interesting thing. You see all that happened. This is heavy. And now there's this gap between chapter 11 and chapter 12. You see now his, 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 his sin, you know what has happened between chapter 11 and 12? Some months have passed. But you know what sin does? This is, this is what sin does. It deadens your conscience and it deadens our hearts. And it hardens our hearts. That's what sin does to us. And that's what it did to David in those months. He went on to live life as if nothing happened, as if everything was fine, as no remorse, nothing. It seems like there's no remorse. There's nothing. There's no history that we have here, but it seems like that's what's happening. That sin has now deadened his conscience and sinned his heart and his heart. So now what's going to happen? How can this be? And here's where the story finally takes a turn. Here's where this hard story just gets like, oh man, this is too hard. How can this be the same David that slayed the Goliath and where, where and God was with him and, and blessed him to be the king and said, this man is worthy. How can it be after this story? Here's where it takes a turn and God decides to intervene. Here's what we see the theme that we keep seeing over and over again in scripture where God pursues us. We see it here because we're about to read in chapter 12 in the first verse that it says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. You see, God decided to intervene david did not summon nathan but god sent nathan to go to david to reveal to him what he had done to remind him what he had done and to get an opportunity to respond okay so god decides to intervene we're starting to see this theme now appear here as well okay so so let's look at it 2nd samuel chapter 12 verses 1 through 7 here's how it says so nathan is now, god has now sent nathan okay so he's come to share, to reveal something to him. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said this story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and drew it up with him and his children and shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. But now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refused from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. So David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Do you see what God did? God sends Nathan and Nathan shows up to this shows up with this story. And I do not want us to get lost in the story of, well, what does a lamb represent? Who does a rich man? Who's a poor man? Because all this story is, this story has now become a mirror. David is is God has given this, this word for Nathan to be a mirror. To David, Okay, so he's saying he gives him this story that's so unjust, right? We read it, and it's like, man, that's terrible. How can he do that to this poor man who loved this lamb? He takes this lamb when he has hundreds and thousands of sheep and cattle, he takes the one and only lamb that this man has? That's not right. So David has the same response. He says, what? He says, as surely as the Lord lives, this man needs to die. This man needs to die. He needs to pay for the lamb four times over. He goes over and over again, right? This is his response. This is what he's saying. And check out verse 7. You ready for verse 7? It says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. As he saw that reflection of the injustice of the sin that was committed, and that mirror's reflecting back to me says, you are that man. And that usually at this point of the story, I'm saying, yes. I'm raising my hands up. I'm saying, yes, that's right, God. Show up. You got to tell him what's up. You got to show him how wicked and how sinful he was. What he did was terrible. He slept with this woman. He got her pregnant. And then he killed her husband. That's terrible. Show him. It's not going to be revealed to everyone. I'm saying, yes. And it says, you are the man, right? He's showing, he's selling David. And in that same breath, as I read the story over and over again, it's impossible for me to, it's, it, here's what I realize. I am the man. I am also that man. You are also that man. You are also that woman. See, may we never read the Bible as, it, as, as if it might not re, re, apply to us. Because see, this mirror he gets for for David. And David responds with such anger. He says, man, this is not right. He needs to die. He says, you are that man. And in my my self-righteousness, I'm like, yes, that's right. That's right. And as soon as I look in the mirror, I say, I am that man. And now what's my response? What's my response? When I come face to face with my junk, what will be my response? I'll tell you what David's response was. Later on in verse 13. David responds, I have sinned against the Lord. Simple, solemn words. No dancing. I have sinned against the Lord. You see, David could have responded a few different ways. David had a few options, right? There's, he chose that, I've sinned against the Lord. Full confession. But he could have responded in a different ways. One way he could have responded was in anger. He could have said, what? Who do you think you are, Nathan? Coming to me, talking to me like that. I'm a king. Who are you to call out and, and shame me like that? He could have responded in anger, right? He could have, in shame, he could have responded that way in just anger and want to just go against Nathan for bringing that word and saying that to him that he is that man. There's no way I'm that man. There's no way I've ever done that. Or he could have responded with denials. He could have said, Hey, I never did that. Show me proof. I never. If I said something to Joab, he must have misunderstood. I never did anything like that. I've never taken a poor man's lamb. He could have responded with excuses. Of saying, well, you know what? I was just in a tough place, and I didn't mean for things to happen, and it's just you know, it's just too bad. He could, right? He could have responded in all those ways. He could respond in anger, with denials, with excuses. And you know how well I know those, and I can say those and rattle off my tongue? It's because that's what's in my arsenal. That's how I respond sometimes. What's in your arsenal? What do you pull out when you're face-to-face with your junk? But David responds with confession, with repentance. That's how he responds. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And it doesn't just stop there. You see, we get the fullness of his heart's reply in Psalm 51. I wish and I pray. I was like, God, Why isn't Psalm 51 right here in this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 12? It needs to be right here because we need to see this response. Because if you were to look at Psalms 51, the title of that chapter would be a psalm written by David, something like this. psalm written by David when Nathan came to him and and revealed to him what he had done. So this is his response after Nathan had had revealed this to him. And he's seen that reflection saying, I am a man. This is his response to him. We're going to read it here. This is Psalm 51. I want you to hear his confession of repentance. He says... Have mercy on me, O God. We're in in chapter verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, my transgressions, my rebellions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, I know my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. He's pleading for God's love. He's pleading for God's compassion. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? He's pleading for it. He's saying, here's my sin. God, yes, this is true. I am that man. It's here in front of you. Will you blot it out? Will you take it away? Will you wash it away? Will you make it white as snow? And he goes on to say in verse 9, here's what else he says. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, God. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me, Lord, a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Do you hear his heart? Do you hear his heart? Do you hear his, his total like reckless abandon just putting it all out there saying, God, do not leave. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. This is his response in confession and repentance from what he has done. Do you hear it? Do you see a man after God's own heart? Now do you see it? After this dark, ugly story, now do you see it a man after god's own heart is that moniker not fitting so here's the great news god pursues us this is the theme of the bible god pursues us to extend forgiveness and restoration and he extended it to david and david had a choice to receive it or to fight it away, and he fully grasped it. He took it. God wants to extend this forgiveness, and not only forgiveness and mercy and grace, but he wants to extend restoration to him. Here's what, here's, here's what a theologian says, Matthew Henry. He says, God may suffer his people, okay? God may suffer his people to fall into sin, but he will not suffer his people to lie still in it. God will not suffer his people to lie still in it. You see, God pursues. He comes after to say, no, I will not allow you to lie still in that sin. I will extend grace and mercy, but how will you respond? You see, David had to judge his heart. He had to judge his heart, and in judging his heart and realizing his wickedness and confessing it, he had to realize that where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. Do you hear that? Where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. When you're in the, in the weeds of sin, when you feel overtaken, when David realizes and receives himself in the reflection in the story that he's, he's, he's head deep in sin, and sin is abounding, grace abounds much more. That's amazing, right? That is amazing. That, that's what God extends to you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your sin and your rebellion. God extend this, and David responds to that friends this is good news this is good news this morning this is good news to all of us see god extends his grace and this restoration you see this restoration in david's life you see king david didn't lose his kingship from this point on he continued to be king and god continued to bless him as the king and you know what's even crazier he had another son with bathsheba who he later married and they had a son named solomon and who was solomon King Solomon, the great King Solomon who built the temple later. And you know what line that Jesus was born out of when he came to earth? He was born from that line of Solomon and David. See, God not only extends his grace and his mercy, he brings restoration to what he intended for you in your life. This is good news. And this is the response we need to have. And as I read this story, as I read Psalm 51, literally weeping. Because I remember young in my faith learning how to play guitar in my room strumming the song called creating me a clean heart O God and I would sing this song simple chords and I remember when I would sing it I mean it was like it was like I felt like David like crying out like cast me not away from your presence But I would sing that with such passion cast me not away from your presence take not thy Holy Spirit from me Lord And, and, and I wondered where did that guy go? Where did I go? Why has not my cries been that same way as it was when it was then? God, will you restore that to me? Will you restore that to me? May that song that I sang there, may I sing it with such passion as I once did. And that's my response. So, what's your response? What's your response? You see, because as that mirror reflects back to David, it also reflects back to you. Just as I am that man, you are that man, you are that woman. And it begs to ask the question for us. Where has sin deadened our conscience? Where? Where has sin deadened our conscience? Where has sin hardened our heart that we can continue to live life as if nothing happened? Big or small. Where has has sin deadened our conscience? Where has sin hardened our heart? And how have you believed the lie that grace... And restoration is not for you where have you made an agreement to believe that lie even though it is a lie that grace and restoration is not for you because it is God pursues you and extends it to you all you have to do is reach out and receive it and take it and respond with 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 confession and with repentance so now as you're being brought face to face with those things And I don't know what they are. I know what they are for me. I don't know what they are. They might be big. They might be small. But as you're brought face-to-face with those things, how will you respond? Will you respond with anger? With denials? With excuses? Or will you sing a song? Sing a song that's desperate, crying out. For grace and for mercy and for forgiveness. I want, to, I want to create a moment for us to think about that. I want to give you all and myself a moment to, to sit in silence just for a little bit to think about those things, to ask ourselves those questions. Where sin deadened our heart, our conscience, hardened our heart, where we believe the lie. That grace and restoration is not for us. Will you bow your heads? Father, we're here this morning waiting to hear from you. Grateful for your invitation here right now. Father, may we have the courage to take it and to meet you.